everybody. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sisters podcast, where we give you our point of view. I'm Tamia Harper, and I'm joined by my Sci-Fi Sisters, Sabrina Wood. Hey, hey. And JD. Bonjour. Today, we're going to be talking some Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, and some Doctor Who, some Midnight and Doctor Who. Maybe I should play some... Uh, Round midnight, get some Dexter Gordon going. Yeah, wouldn't that be I'd good? I'd be all right with that. Yeah, I know, right? So we're gonna mix it up a little bit today, and JD is going to be our lovely guide through this awesome journey of these two fantastic, amazing episodes. We're so glad you all could join us, and we're also so glad that we are now officially part of the Trek Geeks Network, and we love you guys, Trek Geeks. Yay, Trek Geeks! Molta bene. she's going going all eu on us today so i hope you guys have seen uh these episodes um the first one is darmok uh from star trek next generation and uh, then like i said we're going to delve into midnight from doctor who season four i'm going to turn this bad boy over to jd and let her be our tour guide allons-y all right so Today we are going to talk about two episodes, like Tamia said, and for those of you who haven't seen the episode Darmok, the synopsis runs like this. Picard is captured, then trapped on a planet with an alien captain who speaks a metaphorical language incompatible with the Universal Translator. They must learn to communicate with each other before a deadly planetary beast overwhelms them. So, with that... Uh, given that we three have seen Darmok, it was my first viewing, but first I want to know, what did you guys think of the episode? I mean, you've seen it, but like, I still want, you know, see, like, how does it strike you? Let's start with Tamia. Okay, well, (laughs) this is hands down one of my favorite Star Trek episodes of all time. Um, I love this episode. It's a, it's a, it's a very Star Trek episode you know um it at its heart how do we relate to others that are different from us if we take away our common forms of communication and that cuts across you know so many cultural lines and norms so uh just on a superficial level uh surface level i can say that i love this episode and i watch it anytime it comes on tv uh sometimes i choose to find it on whatever service I'm looking for just to watch this episode. All right. Sabrina? I I am totally there with Tamia. Darmok is one of my favorites. I remember the first time I saw it and I was blown away because it just, it just made me so in awe of this writing because uh, Joe Manoski is the writer of this one and he's written a lot of different Star Trek episodes um, you know First Contact and he's Time's Arrow that's him and he has a lot of episodes that have to do with like to me it's said when you take something away you know either people's memories or you know language or something so it's really very interesting but what got me what I really love about this is that Paul Winfield is the star and I yes. love Paul Winfield. Yes. So when I heard he was the guest star, even though he's got complete 100% prosthesis on, I still know that's Paul. <laughs> well, you know, him. you do. You could tell that it's him. And then the 
the amazing job, like he really should have gotten an Emmy for this one because, you know, you the amazing job that he did of emoting throughout all of that, all of that prosthetic makeup is amazing. I, I think it should be a new category. I really do. <laughs> Because it's it, it's something to act through all of that, and this is such an emotional um, episode where you know you have a man that is trying to do something for his planet, for his race, to get them into the rest of the universe. But this has got to work. It's been a hundred years that he's been trying to communicate, and they have not been able to. So you know, this man is like going to get this done today. It's going to happen today. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I love this one. All right. And I know for me, I I had never seen the episode, but I'd seen something tangentially related to it. So I, I kind of got a good feel of what may happen, but even still watching it, it was it was very frustrating. It was a frustrating episode. Like everyone was doing everything wrong all the time. <laughs> I, I didn't know that was that was possible, but they were like I, I was like on Twitter complaining like I would hate to have Picard as a charades partner. This man is terrible. <laughs> like could not deduce anything. So yeah, but you know, at the end, I was all like, you know what? It, it, it's a sweet episode. And as <laughs> someone mentioned to me. Um, it very much embodies the Star Trek ethos of, I like, you know, I may not be able to communicate with you, but we're gonna find a way. We're gonna work together for this cause, regardless of differences, because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> so, I mean, if, all in all, it's it's a cute episode. It's, it's I I don't. I wouldn't use the word. It's a cute episode. I, I no, know. I wouldn't use the word cute either. But I mean, I, I think that makes it seem so trite because, like, what it is 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 a really important statement about an, an examination of the nature of fear of the other. You know, I mean, that's that's what it's talking about, and and how we as human beings react when we're confronted with new and different that it's not you know easy to communicate with like for instance i work with a lot of deaf folks at um at my job and i don't sign i don't i know very little <laughs> sign language american sign language and communicating sometimes can be really difficult and but we sit there we make a way to do it but you know originally when you're originally confronted with trying to communicate with somebody and you don't know their language, it can be so frustrating at first. You just want to give up, you know, which is what was rep happening on the ship, on, on both ships in Darmok. You know, you had right. Riker and the first the first mate the, on the, the two other first ship. Were, the two first the were two like, first. no, we're done. Right. Like, we, we, we didn't understand you the first or second time. Okay, the, clearly you're hostile. And no, exactly. that's not it. You know, so it's a really, it's, it's, a, it's a poignant episode. You know, and then it, and then I think it also speaks to um, sort of the one-on-one -on -one nature of change, right? Like it, it becomes a an individual pursuit to reach out to another human being or another another being. Yeah. I period. Think, I think that is very important in this, and I think Picard brings it out 
in the end of the episode where you know we realize that this cat if you have not seen Darmok by now spoiler alert and you know i i, I don't understand why you haven't seen it but okay uh <laughs> i'm gonna just spoil it for you but uh you know when, when we come to the end of the movie picard says that this one man he was willing to give up everything so that that his people would be able to communicate. He was willing to die for it. So I think that that shows you how important it was for this captain to make this happen that day. He, you know, a hundred years, they could not speak to anyone else in the universe because no one could understand them. And this was the mission. This wasn't like, oh, you know, we're just going along doing some interstellar star chart and, you know, we just see this planet. Let's go see who's here. No, they went on a specific mission to make contact with these people. This was you mean Starfleet did. Starfleet did. They told right. them to go yes. there and to try to find out what these people are. And this guy was sending a signal for three weeks to these guys. He was sending a signal for three weeks. So, you know, this was really important. It was deep. They, it, they, he was like, we've got to do this or all is lost. We're going to be isolated for the rest of our existence. Right, because what does it mean for a culture to stay isolated? I'm sorry, JD, go ahead. See, I I read things a little different. Like you you mentioned how it struck you like both first officers are like very combative and ready to attack each other, but that was just Riker. Like this was my first time watching it and it was very clear. Like even when like the only thing the that's true. Yeah, I take it back. Well, That's true. Well, the other first right officer was the other first officer was ready and combative in the beginning. Yeah, he didn't yes. want he didn't want his captain to do this. But he yes. didn't do anything about the enterprise. He just didn't want his captain to go down on the planet. Yeah, because once they actually do get once they're down there, he's all like, you know what? This is important to my captain. I'm not gonna let you guys interfere with this no yes. you're, right. This you're right you're absolutely right and i don't know i i still say cute because <laughs> I, I like i don't i am someone who has studied upwards of four different languages that i can't speak so okay <laughs> so like to me like watching this the frustrating part was picard like he like his anger and not even like trying to reduce things and it's all like come on it's very easy what he's saying when he says things like um here's some oh. fire <laughs> right yeah like like that was <laughs> very so tough to understand about that here's some food and some fire eat it <laughs> yeah all right let me tell you well, like, i'm gonna go right to the head scratcher on this one i don't know how you could be the captain of a starship and you don't know how to start a fire yeah, that was me. And it was it was so weird because like even when <laughs> Dathon is telling him, Temba, his arms wide, it's so, all like he gave you the fire. He gave and you he the says, fire. His arms wide. Like, just make the gesture for card. So like point to fire, arms wide. Like, take the fire. I cannot make this easier. But I'm sitting there like <laughs> any I could have started a fire. There was brush all over the place. It's like, come on, you get the twig, you put the hole, you put it in there, you start twisting and turning. The fire starts. Yeah, and like even Picard, I guess he cannot read body language because even when Dathon first comes at him with the two knives, Picard's all like, "Nope, I'm not gonna fight you. We're not having battle." But so like, clearly he doesn't want to fight you. He is offering you something. 
you're just like, nope, nope, not gonna battle. This isn't my life. Like, but you know, is that is that another case of coming in with the wrong impression and so then not understanding anything that comes after? Because you too are already seeing this man as a threat and hostile. And you know, well, he can't be t- getting ready to tell you anything good. I don't know. Be- because it was, it was like Picard was being really thick in this one. Just Yeah, like, it was like a problem a issue with trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it might have been a little heavy-handed because we just can't believe that Picard would not pick up on the cues. But, but the, yeah. all that was standing, though. Yeah, I still okay. love this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you know, it can be a little dense and a little obtuse, but that's okay. You know, the the message of the episode is still very clear and wonderfully drawn out. You know, I it, and and. We come we come from different eras of storytelling, right? You know, Sabrina, myself, and you, JD, we're all from different. So that level of storytelling, the way that they did it was pretty acceptable. Like we they told stories and characters in broad strokes a lot of times. Like today's level of storytelling and, and character development is, is is way more finessed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even even back when they telecast this one, I was wondering why Picard couldn't get that fire started. But <laughs> yeah, I mean that was stupid, though. I yeah. mean, that, straight up, I still love the episode, though. <laughs> I do too. I love it too. All right, uh, here's a question because I know it did make me think of things. Did you relate the episode Dharma to anything? Like, did it like click? in other ways to other things. Because I know when I was watching, I, like, by the end, I was all like, oh, I get it. It's a Snowden situation. And for anyone who doesn't understand what that means, um, basically, Yeah, okay, two of us. Two of us are sitting here looking at each other, like, what are you talking about, JD? In Catch-22, you have the main character, John Yossarian, at the beginning of the book. Oh, oh, okay. Like, some military meeting. So he, he asks his commanding officers, what happened to the Snowdens of yesteryear? And it's not until you get to the penultimate uh, chapter of the book where he's, where you get this chapter about how his plane took fire during World War II. You have this new guy, Snowden, and he gets hit. And there's a cut on his leg and, Yossar- and he keeps telling Yossarian, I feel cold, which, you know, if you know anything about wounds, that's a clear sign, you're dying. You're dying quickly. <laughs> So Yossarian, he bandages up the leg, but Snowden is still telling him, I feel cold. And it's not until it's far too late. Snowden, I mean, Yossarian opens up his flak suit and everything inside inside Snowden comes pouring out. But then to look back at the beginning of the book, when he's asking what happened to the Snowdens of yesteryear, he's asking what happened to all these other guys in years before? What happened to everyone else who died? Why, Why are we doing this? Okay. Yeah, I, I thought you meant like Snowden, like the guy that took all the information and went to Russia. <laughs> no, apparently it's like, a very common name. <laughs> <laughs> we talking about databases now? Yeah, uh, but it also goes back to, you know, understanding yeah, the no, language. I get, yeah, no, that, right. I, I get that. Yeah, that's... Well, the thing that got me, um, and this is like, I'm going way out, but then again, I'm a sci-fi sister, so I'm telling you from a sister's point of view, from a sister's point of view, when I first saw this episode, I thought, oh, my God, we're going to another Black planet, like Code of Honor time. I'm going, yeah, we're going to a Black planet. 
but it didn't turn out to be that way. I was like, oh, the children of Tama, the, the Tamar, the Tamar, Tamarians, yes. the children of Tama, whatever they were, and they're isolated and no one can speak their language. I'm like, oh man. I said, are they trying to go back and kind of give me a, you know, when colonization was coming to the continent of Africa and you first got there, they first got there and they couldn't speak to the Africans or, or whatever. I said, is, is, are, are we trying to recreate this now in in Starfleet? And in, in, uh, that's, that's what first struck me when I saw the very beginnings of this and, you know, the frustration of the white crew uh, except for Jody, of the Enterprise and their <laughs> frustration with these these guys on this other ship and just like, you know, just going to like write them off like, oh, that's it. I'm not talking to them anymore. We came all this way. We're going to try two times to talk to them and then we're going to we're just done. But uh, Picard hung in there for a little longer. But, um, so that so that kind of got me. I, I was sort of thinking that this might have been a black planet and the idea that if you go back into African history and the history of storytelling that it would have made sense to me that um, they would have had some sort of a language that was based on story and and myth and uh, storytelling and that and metaphor. So that's what struck me when I first saw this. I said, oh, they're going to give me like sort of like what would have happened if, you know, this was another way of developing language based on African storytelling oral tradition. Okay, I love that. I love that. No, 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 because like I, when you were talking, I, I kept thinking like, yeah, in a sense, this is a, it's, it's an immigrant story where you, you are in this new place. You are trying to communicate with this person to, you know, just get by. And it really does come down to like, are they going to meet you halfway? Are they going to try? Or are they just going to be like, no, this person's terrible. I don't get them. They they don't speak English. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. No, but the effort came from um, the captain, the other captain, Captain Darthon. Yeah. Uh, he was the one that said, okay, we're going to have to go to Jalad, you know, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. At Tanagra. Right. <laughs> and that was it. Oh, the, the, the first officer's like, oh, no, don't go there. He's like, nope, <laughs> we're going to have to do it. <laughs> this guy does not understand. So, you know, they're going to have to recreate the story for him. So um, I thought that was just great. But I I, I got, uh, if you listen to some of the the language that they were using, you know, timber at rest, you know, meaning to get the gift is rebuffed and, you know, the river tarmac in winter, meaning stop. Right. I just loved it. It's and beautiful I, language, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I wanted to hear the story. You know, if it, okay, um, anybody out there, if you're listening, if you want to write the backstory to the children of <laughs> of the Temerians, please, and give me all of these mythological stories, I would so love you. I know you're listening, but come on, these book writers, fan favorites. If it, if it's already out there, please put it in the comments. Tell Sabrina where she could get the book that tells the story of where these stories came from. I would love that. I mean, I thought I always, I, what I was thinking about the whole time while I was watching this episode, and I have since, every, since the first time I saw this episode, was uh, the, the, the beauty of this language, right? The, the poetry of it, you know, that it's an entire language of poetry and a metaphor. And 
I thought, how appropriate for, for especially taking a, just having taken a poetry class, writing poetry to um, watch an episode in which, you know, because that's what you're searching to do, right? Um, often. I just, I don't know, very much touched me because we have names for things, but names are just capsules of ideas. Mm-hmm. Right, a name for a thing is all these is is actually a, a a whole conglomeration of ideas put together. A, a name is just a symbol, you know. Um, words are so often symbols. So I really appreciated a language that spoke of the essence of a situation. Yeah, and and the writer Joe Minoski, he said that he was inspired by um, the poet John. Chiardi, who said every word is a poem. So he had a lot of poetic inspiration when he wrote this episode, and you can you can see it in the in the writing. I I, I think my favorite phrase was, um, "Marib with sails unfurled." I just like I just love that with sails unfurled. And the thing that gets me is that the Universal Translator is translating what he is saying literally, you know, and using, picking up the word unfurl, not open. The, the translator is giving us unfurled. So it, it just really got me this whole thing. I was just sort of like thinking the thing like, okay, so what would this, what would be in his mind that the universal translator is going to say unfurled as opposed to his sale is open. <laughs> so it was just really, okay. I know I'm going way too deep into it, but no, I just it's love beautiful. This episode. I, actually, you and I can sit here at another time and go deep into that because whenever we talk about language, I'm there, but I know that that's a different podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> like I love language too, but on that note about a different podcast, let's go on to a different show. So the other episode we watched was uh, Doctor Who Series 4, Episode 10, Midnight. Yeah, for those of you who don't know the episode, the synopsis reads as such. The 10th Doctor and Donna Noble go to the leisure planet of Midnight for a simple, relaxing holiday. However, life with the Doctor can never be that simple, and things go horribly wrong for the Doctor when he decides to go off on a bus trip to see the Sapphire Waterfalls, starting with the bus shutting down. When a mysterious entity infiltrates the shuttle bus, no one is to be trusted, not even the doctor himself. Bum, bum, bum. All right, so. (laughs) (laughs) So on that note, because I know you guys are not Whovians, what did you think of the episode? The (laughs) non-Whovians. I might be persuaded to become a Whovian after watching this episode. Oh, you should. It wasn't I mean, even like was... the episode people suggest as the episode you should watch again to Doctor Who. So it's a, it's a, anyway. It's a really stellar episode. It's a it's an amazing piece of 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 drama. I love it. I, I was love. I was absolutely knocked off my feet with it too because um, I really going back I mean I remember the first Doctor Who you like the Doctor Who number 10 I was like oh Lord Jesus but um yes Doctor Who number one is what I remember and so I was really excited that you came up with this comparison because I said all right let me let me delve into this and see what's going on 
And um, I think this is one of the best episodes of sci-fi I've seen in a long time. It was very um, Twilight Zone-ish. It, yeah. was, it was terrifying. I mean, I jumped a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I mean, it was, it was full of suspense. It was a locked room drama, right? Like a locked room sort of mystery, uh, but not, you know, I mean, it was amazing. The, the intensity of it, the psychological drama of it, um, the acting was superb. Mm -hmm. The writing was superb. Uh, just really wonderful. You're welcome. But I will note that the writer was also the creator of the I don't want to say reboot, but the continuation of the Doctor Who, Russell T. Davies. So this was his brainchild. But um, on that note, uh, what about the episode just stood out to you? Got to start with you, Sabrina. Well, I went in, you know, I think I did a little research before I saw the episode. So I read that the writer, Davies, said that he had never seen Darmok but that this episode was inspired by the synopsis of Darmok where, you know, people don't, uh, aren't able to understand each other and try and they only speak in metaphor or something like that. And so he said, he, I think he said he never saw it. Although um, Sky Celestri, the woman who gets possessed first, the name of the captain in Darmok was Captain Celestri. So I don't know whether he must've seen something. <laughs> so, I mean, I have to go back. I have to go back, but when in the, in the beginning of the Enterprise, uh, the uh, Star Trek episode, when Picard is saying, naming the first captain who made contact with the children of T Tama, um, it, the captain's name was Captain Celestri. And it is the same name as the woman on this, this, this bust going to see Sapphire Fall. So I just thought that was kind of funny. But um, it, 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 was, it was terrific. I love the fact that I felt like, you know, Captain Picard at this moment because I didn't have the Whovian context and metaphor to understand some of the scenes that were going on in this. But, you know, I did my best to understand what was happening. But as an aficionado of sci-fi, I knew this wasn't going to be good. As soon as he said, you know, I'm going on a trip on a planet that has no oxygen, what could go wrong? I was like, oh, we are in for it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. And Tamia, uh, what stood out to you from this episode? Like what just like stuck with you? Boy, uh, so much. The um, intensity of the level of hate uh, that was exhibited by the passengers, you know, their, the fear, their fear was so intense. It made me feel like I was in a life or death situation, you know, but the, but how that fear twisted and turned to hatred and that mob sort of mentality, I thought was what really stuck with me. I mean, when I finished watching it, I went to, I mean, I watched it at night and then went to bed and it was, it was floating around in my head, you know, in bed. Absolutely. Uh, I, yeah. this it one stayed, stayed with, with you for a little bit. And it's still with me, you know, I mean, I'm still, I'm still mulling over different aspects. But the other thing that really stood out to me on this episode was that just like in real life, who was hip to the fact that the 
alien being but or whatever being was not in the doctor it was two sisters let me tell you hello okay, okay sapphire two sisters, sisters two like sisters, sisters got like, it. i'm trying to tell you <laughs> that's not reality over there that's wrong Nope, 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 nope. What do you know? And then the the white then the professor going so far as to call the woman stupid. Mm. You know, the doctor, the doctor. <laughs> you know, and like you don't, you, you're just a, you're, you're just, just average. What do you say? You're just average. Oh no, you that know? was the professor. The professor yeah, the Hobbs. professor. You're just Hobbs. average. Yeah, the Didi. Oh, yeah. I was like, wow, that that struck me really hard because. Mm-hmm. That is the type of treatment I'm used to getting in from the world, you know, from it. I've had that type of treatment in in professional situations or in personal situations, too, where either I'm written off because uh, I'm a woman or written off because I'm a woman and I'm a black woman. And I'm sitting there like you feel like. what was her name from the the Greek myth? Um, Which myth? Uh, with uh, the uh, was always Cassandra. Cassandra you feel like Cassandra to... because she was always telling the truth and nobody wanted to believe her, right? You, right. Uh, so much of my life has been like that. You're like pointing it out to people. Hey, look at the snake right there. You probably don't want to step right there, you know? And they go, do, do, do. And they go, wow, why didn't you tell me? You know, or you're stupid. There's no snake. You're making stuff up. So the, it was it was pretty visceral. As you could tell, like that really struck a chord with me. I think the other part about that, because that scene really stuck out to me too. And I think what really got me about it was that it came from the professor, Professor Hobbs, who had brought her on the trip with him. She Uh was his research assistant. And she's like, they came on together. They were sitting next to each other. This came from a source that she would think is benign, that would be on her side. And all of a sudden, he turned and he was every angry white man. I said, oh, no. So it came from... Why is this man that I am I am known to? You know my you know my genius, and you're gonna say this mess to me, right? And you know Doctor Who, who just met her, he was he was so clear that she was the brains, right? <laughs> the he doctor. was just like Dee Dee explained to them that we're yes. not gonna run out of oxygen. She just ran it down. You know? And and like and, and the like, last thing the last thing that really stood out to me was. Um, the guy who played the the young kid, yeah, Jethro. Uh, Jethro. Jethro. Thank you. Um, I kept thinking of NCIS. <laughs> I'm like, no. Like, how do they have a Jethro in England? Like, isn't that okay? Anyway, because um, they do. It just seems like such an American name to me. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> he played Merlin. He played young he Merlin. Did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was, Morgan, like, too. I was like, it's Merlin. Oh my gosh! How fantastic. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you guys should watch Doctor Who. Any British actor has basically been on there at some point. (laughs) But I will say, JD, what stood out for you? Yeah, uh, it's it's one because I've watched it so many times. It's one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes. But the thing that always sticks with me is when the doctor asks the hostess, what was her name? Yes. Because it's that one thing where it's yes. not until he asks that at the end where you're all like, wait, did we not get her name? I know everyone's name yeah, on everyone's... this vessel yes. except her. 
Mm-hmm. Which you knew Claude, again, you knew the two pilots, you knew everybody. Which again speaks to the invisibility of black women, right? Like we support, we support, we support. People don't even know our names. And that that's a real, that's how many, that's a real experience. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to even talk about it because it's so frustrating. Uh, the number of black women who raised people's babies and did all sorts of, and, and are lost to history, you know, um, and we're like, we're, we're involved now in a culture of saying their names. Say my name. We, rec- we recognize the importance of keeping these people's legacies alive and, and, and giving them their due at, at least at some point. That, that really got me when he said that, because that was the first thing I thought of, say her name. And even through the whole episode, they were so evil to her. You know, she was the hostess on this bus, this, you know, futuristic bus. And she was just getting flack from everybody, every single thing. And well, she was a end, servant. You know, she was in a service position. Yeah. She's a servant. So why would we pay attention to this Black lady? Why would we treat her nicely? You know, and then, you know yeah, when, that, she's throwaway. Yes. And, but, and when stuff was going down, well, you need to do something. Why and and it's, and it's your her. fault. And yeah, it's, right, your yeah. it's your fault. That 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 that's not even like at this point. It's not even just like a black woman thing. Like at that point, anyone who has worked any sort of service or retail mm-hmm. knows that yep. you are the most in demand person who should have all the answers until you tell them they're wrong. Right. Then it's all your fault. Exactly. Right. <laughs> or until but, you can't fix the situation. Right. It's your fault. And in the end, she saves them all. And I do work in service and have worked in retail for mm-hmm. 20, 20 plus <laughs> <Yes>. years. <laughs> so have we have we all done retail? I, I have to. <laughs> I think that I think that people that if you everybody, unless they're doing national service on some other level, everybody should be required to work retail or a service position or like hotel industry or Every human being should be required to do that because it changes the way you treat other human beings. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, oof, I'll tell you. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> before we go down into the well yeah. of these service, uh, on, service on that On that happy note, um, while Sabrina mentioned it, I don't think Tamia taught it. So, yeah, Russell T. Davies, the head writer for Doctor Who Revival, uh, he went on note in SFX issue 200 as saying, I've seen a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation. I think it's a lovely show, but there's one episode, the billing for which is so fascinating, I'd rather think about it forever. The episode is called Dharma, and the synopsis simply says that Captain Picard is trapped on a planet with an alien who can only talk in metaphor. Wow, that sounds brilliant. How does that work? What happens? How does it end? I've got no idea, not seen it, <laughs> but it keeps resonating with me. Mm. And that is what inspired him to write Midnight, just this idea of being trapped with an alien who can only speak in metaphors. As we know from watching it, Davies took that to a really dark level. <laughs> I love it. I, mean, I love the level that he took it to. First of all, I love writers being inspired by another person's work. I mean, that's happened to me a lot and it's spun off some fantastic stories for me, like that I've had a lot of fun writing, but the fact that like he went, took it to the level of the 
the mimicking to learn. I love that aspect in this story. Like, how do we learn? We mimic, you know, the, the, the knowledge of the meaning comes later, but as babies, we, we, we try to do what the adults around us are doing. And then we learn what things mean. But then even the mimicry becoming like taking the essence of somebody that the taking their words, that was brilliant. Mm. And, and I love the way first um, the alien was mimicking and then the alien caught up and then the alien was speaking ahead of them. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, it learned hatred. It learned kill it. It learned, you know, you've got to stop it. And, you know, this alien might have come on board just trying to find out what was going on because nobody ever come to this planet. Nobody ever took that road before, you know, this was all new. And so like poor, the poor guy in the, in the cockpit there, Claude, I guess, or whatever his name was, he said, I thought I saw something. I was like, oh, here we go. So maybe it was just coming to see what was going on. And do you get, do you get the feeling that the, that the, one of the things that really got me about this was the, the sound of the alien trying to come into the cabin because it was so metallic and harsh and, and scary. I mean, there's no way you can lightly tap on the door of a thing like that. Right. So of course it was banging, but that ratcheted them up immediately to the point that they were like, Oh, this can't be good. It's not in this thing. It was sort of like, well, how do I get in here? I just want to come and say, hi, (laughs) they were just out of their minds. I, I feel like you're giving way too much. I feel like you're giving too much. <laughs> I'm going too credit. deep again. <laughs> I'm going too deep again. No, no, no. It's just like when I watch Midnight and I see the Midnight Entity, there is nothing kind about that creature. Like nothing. it comes in and as Jethro says, it went after Sky because she was the most scared out of all of us. Yeah, she was Like terrified. it comes in like, I'm here. To, I, I want to see what this fear thinks about. I want to make sure everybody's scared. We're going to have a good time scaring the crap out of everybody. <laughs> and that's what it was feeding off of. Oh, like, okay. even, like, yeah, so, like, even when it took over the doctor, like, the first thing it did is, so like, oh no, he's, it's in the doctor now. He's copying me. We should kill him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should kill him. That thing was okay. <laughs> I, I, I keep trying to be optimistic and Star Trek y. But this is Doctor Who. <laughs> I can see both interpretations, you know. That, um, <laughs> you know, honestly, I can't because at first, at first we don't know. We, all we have is the circumstances around the, the entity's presence to set the tone for what that entity is. At first, all we have is knocking on the outside. I mean, if it's coming from a planet that's composed of diamonds, it's not going to be a soft, fuzzy creature, (laughs) you know, like it's going to be pretty hard and it's going to make a hard sound on that hole, which could then be interpreted as an attack sound, right? So it was really at that point, it was all about the perceptions of the people inside, And the doctor was saying to them, like, we don't have enough information. We don't have enough data right now to draw any conclusions. But they were already like, nope. mm -mm." Yeah. 
that this is intimidating. It's scary. It's and it's got to go. Whatever it is is a threat, you know. And it and it's and it it, it reminded me of. Riker on the bridge and Riker's reactions to everything like, nope, it's a threat. It's got to go. Right. You know? <laughs> that, that, that's what I thought that they both kind of just went there. But then again, when, you know, when the cabin, when they, you know, when the front part of the ship was gone, I said, well, yeah, you got a problem now. Well, then, yeah. Once the, once that <laughs> happened, then you're like, mm, okay, something is not right here. <laughs> but I, I want to just say in both of these episodes, and, you know, they're about the same length of time. Both writers create a world, um, although in Darmok, it's mostly, you know, the thought of the world. You're not really seeing his world. But in, in Midnight, just the, the look and the thought of that world was so alien and incredible. I loved it. You know, the diamonds and no oxygen. Uh, you know, it was just the, the light. The, what was the X? What kind of light? It was X. Extonic, extonic. Yeah, ext- yes, I was like, oh yeah, this is good. Yeah. Yeah, it was great world building. <laughs> All it, right. Well, oh, go on. No, I, I, I just was laughing because um one other thing I read is that the person that played Professor Hobbs is actually the son of the original Doctor Who or, the, or Doctor Who number two. So that man that cussed out Dee Dee. <laughs> Um, his father was a Doctor Who. I thought that was really kind of cool that he was uh, in this sh- in his father's show. I love that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, that is that is a Troughton. But I will I will say again to all the Whovians out there, it's well for all the Whovians out there, it's the Doctor, never Doctor Who. They get really picky oh, about finicky about thank that. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> just yeah, the like doctor. that's his name. He's the He's doctor. He's the Doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah, like eventually you uh, just gotta learn to accept it. But on the on, Yeah. But you know what you know what else I loved about this episode? Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen and variations thereupon. I I actually <laughs> made a comment on Twitter about how I love how older shows address the concept of there not being a binary, because there is another moment in Deep Space Nine where Odo says something to the same effect when he's like breaking up some things at Quarks. And it's all like, yeah, I just love like the language they use mm-hmm. and like the era it's coming from. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, that one, I, I had to write that down and I was like, I have to remember to use this all the time. This is my new thing. <laughs> Thank you, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Episode but, Midnight. Um, yeah. I will say uh, for a final question, I mean, we've compared the two episodes. We got two different takes on being, well, communicating with an outside species. So which, which path do you, you think is more, more likely? The optimistic take of Star Trek where we're going to work it out, we're going to find a way or the realistic method of Doctor Who where it's all like, I'm going to kill it and I never want to hear it again. Well, we know how you feel about it. Because <laughs> that was completely unbiased. Yeah, to answer that loaded question. <laughs> I I, honestly, I, I think that um, because I've seen it uh the even though it was pretty outsized 
reactions. I think that the the Whovian path is more realistic, but not all the time. You know, I mean, Star Trek path is more hopeful, and I've seen human beings live up to and through that hope and promise and be our better selves together. We get we get examples of that all the time, but I think that if we are slaves to news television, we don't see it a lot. You know, um, we have to go to other sources to see human beings being human beings toward like good human beings towards one another. But for real, for real, if I was stuck on a on a craft and there was something trying to get in, I would expect a lot more of the Lord of the Flies behavior that we got from the Doctor Who episode than, you know, peaceful Trek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, it kind of depends on your alien there, you know? <laughs> so, and it really there does. Good aliens on both sides. There are good aliens on both sides. <laughs> so you got a, you got a really nasty, that was a really nasty um, piece of work there that they would, but, but, you know, you had the doctor being Star Trekky and wanting more information and trying to, you know, wait until we wait, keep your powder dry, wait till you see the whites of their eyes <laughs> before you shoot, <laughs> and these other people not. So there's always one in the crowd that can maybe try to talk them down, but once the threat was there, there was really nothing you can do. And, and you know what happens? You know, the sister saves the world. I mean, the sister saved everybody. <laughs> Again, yes. and I, I, I will say, despite being slandered so viciously, I, I actually, I, I, like, obviously, I, I fully expect most people to go the path of Doctor Who in this situation. But me personally, like I said, I'm someone who has studied multiple languages. I've studied French, German, no, French, Russian, Italian, and Spanish. So I, I, I do, when it comes to meeting other people and, you know, outside things, yeah, I'm going to go the, the Dathon route. I can't say the Picard route because that man didn't make an effort at all. But <laughs> <laughs> the Dathon route where it's all like, I don't care. We're going to work something out. <laughs> okay, so the one that was, the, so the Whovian is going Darmark and the, and the Trekkies are going Whovian, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> been cross-pollinated. <laughs> I know, right? Which is a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. It is. This is this is what we're trying to do here. We're trying to expand our world, our world views. And now we are with the doctor. I understand about the sonic screwdriver. And I got um, some other references. I feel I feel like I can go out into the Whovian world and watch some more. And now just do you wait understand? You... Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, just wait till you see the TARDIS. Y you know, I've seen the TARDIS. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try it again. <laughs> now you understand why I kept calling, uh, we're totally crossing streams, the gift that we got in Picard towards the end of the new Picard, Star Trek finally has its own sonic screwdriver. <laughs> yes. I was like, they couldn't wait to get their own sonic screwdriver. Seriously, guys, you couldn't come up with something a little bit more unique. You had to bite <laughs> off the doctor. I knew that they were biting off the doctor. I hate to admit it. Well, that, I digress. Okay. Nope. That was right on time. You did. They did. They did that. All right. Well, I think we've really given this a 
good look at what's going on here and brought out some things that hopefully our listeners had not thought about before. So, uh, Tamir, do you want to sign us off from another episode of the Sci-Fi Sisters? Sure. Thanks. It's been fun. You know, it's been fun hanging out with you gals. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to do it again. No, it really has. I've loved this discussion. And thanks, J.D., for um, introducing me to some something new something new and wonderful. And if you guys want to join in on our conversations, uh, what we're doing here and have any comments for us, we would really love to hear from you uh, at sci-fi sisters.com or sci-fi sisters on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And that's S Y F Y S I S T A S. And, um, Really, I have to put out a shout out to the amazing, the wonderful, the man, the myth, the legend, (laughs) Dos the Anonymous, Dos the Anonymous, the most fabulous sound engineer and producer in the world. He's responsible for all the music that you will hear ever on our show. And he is responsible for keeping us sounding good to your ears. Thank you, Dos. He can be reached at D-O-S-T-H-E-A-N. O-N-Y-M-O-U-S, the number one at gmail.com. Yay. And with that, everyone, we'd like to say peace, love, and hair grease. Peace, love, and hair grease. <laughs> <laughs>